boys. Hi everyone, well, welcome to Fright Fest. Thank you so much for being here. It's so great to see so many of the old faces. Thank you so much for supporting us throughout all the years. I hope you enjoy yourself. We've got the biggest lineup we've ever had. We've got the biggest guest lineup we've ever had. Unbelievable. You're going to be sort of like bumping into these and me for it all the time this weekend. So, yes, so as I said, enjoy yourself. Yeah, and as Alan was saying, because we have a record number of guests this year, and almost a record number of films, not quite, but nearly, I have to want to give a shout out to our main sponsors, because honestly, this year without them, we would not have been able to put this on. So, uh, I'll start with Arrow, who are our headline sponsor again, and I also want to thank Shudder, and 101 Films Honours partnering sponsors. Are they all here tonight? Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And I'm glad I'm doing it now because by Monday I would definitely have forgotten to do this. Thank the media partners and the press in particular. This year the support has been amazing. Lots and lots more interviews online I've noticed. So thank you very, very much for that. And very briefly from me. Um, just to say welcome to FriFest for those of you who have never been before because obviously this is the single tickets, the day passes, the press, the VIPs, all the hardcore regulars who've got the weekend pass are next door in the IMAX. So if you enjoy this screening next year, come to the big screen on IMAX and have a great weekend. Please come and see some good movies. Finally, it's down to me to thank our volunteers, to thank uh, the projection staff, which make their films look so fabulous. I, and anyway, and then our volunteers, of course, which we could not do this thing without. So thank you. That's it. Hello, and welcome to the Movie Robcast. I'm your host, Rob Daniel, with a slightly different episode this time. Normally, I'm joined by my learned beloved co-host Mr. Rob Wallace, but he was not able to attend Fright Fest, so I'm flying solo for this episode. And in this episode, I will be talking about this year's Fright Fest Film Festival that ran over the August Bank holiday weekend at the Cineworld Leicester Square in London. I'll just give a quick rundown of what rocked my world over the five days. It was a bumper Fright Fest, so now in its 23rd year, there were over 70 films playing, including 32 world premieres, 22 international or European premieres, and 18 UK premieres from 17 different countries. But enough with the numbers, how were the films? Well, happily, they were very good. And we'll start with Dario Argento's Dark Glasses. So regular listeners will know that I'm quite a fan of Mr Argento, and I think that his 1977 masterpiece, Suspiria, is the finest horror film ever made. But us Argento files have had to acknowledge that he has been off the boil with his last couple of movies. So Dario Argento's Dracula, which was released 10 years ago, was hilarious fun, but a disaster. And 2009's Jallo was simply terrible. But Dark Glasses is a return to form, and it stars Elenia Pastorelli who gives a really moving performance as a sex worker who is blinded in a crash when fleeing a serial killer and the killer is targeting women in her profession. Also involved in the crash is a young Chinese lad, whose dad is killed and his mum is put into a coma. So with the killer targeting them, they have to team up to help each other. Now the basic premise of blind adults and child battling a serial killer is straight out of Argento's 1971 movie The Cat of Nine Tales. 
and Dark Glasses also contains a couple of visual nods to Suspiria and Tenebrae. But this remains an enjoyable thriller, with Argento seeming to have mellowed in his old age. Scenes of Pastorella's adjustment to her new life are sensitively handled, with a low-key visual style that Argento says he borrowed from legendary Italian director Michelangelo Antonioni. Now, Argento fans will remember that Antonioni's blow-up deeply impacted the director, and its influence can be felt in many of his films, notably 1975's Deep Red. And the second half of Dark Glasses moves out of the suburban Rome setting of the first half into rural Italy. And it features a number of great suspense and horror sequences that remind you how good Argento is at this stuff, including a quite bizarre scene when Pastorelli and Andrea Zhang, as the young lad Chin, stumble into a nest of snakes. Now, as someone with a snake phobia, this was tough to watch. And normally with that sort of thing, I'll kind of look over my glasses so I can't see the screen properly. Problem is that when you're in the cine world, the super screen is so large that looking over your glasses doesn't help at all. So there was some eye closing going on during that scene. But it's a really outlandish and bizarre scene, the kind of which Argento does really well. His daughter, Arzia Argento, appears as a therapist who's helping Pastorelli adjust. Now this is a role that her mum, the famed Italian actor Daria Nicolodi, would have played had Argento made this film in the 80s. Now a fun fact is that this film was due to be made in the early noughties, but that fell through when... Well, why don't I let Dario tell you? Okay, volevo dire anche un'altra cosa che questo produttore Mario Vittorio Cecchigoi l'hanno arrestato, l'hanno messo in prigione e quindi il suo direttore mi ha telefonato una mattina e mi ha detto guarda che il film non si fa più perché il produttore sta in galera. The, the, the reason why um, it, the whole project was shelved 20 years ago was because the producer went to jail, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they picked him up from home. And uh, so uh, one morning Dario woke up to the telephone ringing saying, do you know what, your film is not going to go ahead because your producer is in jail. Sì, a me... Mi sono così incazzato veramente che, che, di questa cosa che ho preso il copione e l'ho buttato in un cassetto, ho chiuso il cassetto e, e ho cominciato già un film che già, già avevo in testa. So he was so pissed off that basically he threw the script onto a drawer, blocked the drawer and went on to do something else that he was already planning on doing anyway. E questo film l'avevo dimenticato. So Dark Glasses is coming to Shudder in October, and I strongly recommend that you check it out. Okay, let's move on to talk about the opening and the closing films. So the festival opened with Neil Marshall's The Lair. Now, The Lair is set in Afghanistan in 2017. It's about this flight lieutenant called Sinclair, who is played by Charlotte Kirk, she gets downed by a Stinger missile and is having to flee through an area of the Afghan desert, escaping insurgents. She goes into this abandoned Soviet bunker and inside finds evidence of human-alien experiments and a lot of creatures and stuff. 
When the insurgents come in and the guns start firing, some of the local inhabitants might get awakened and they might be in a bad mood. Sinclair then gets picked up by a US patrol and taken to this remote outpost, but initially has a hard time persuading people that there is something out there that is awake and grumpy and probably coming for them. Now, I'm a fan of Mr. Marshall. I think that Dog Soldiers and The Descent and Doomsday and Centurion are all fantastic films adorning my Blu-ray shelf. And my 4K shelf has his recent Hellboy reboot, which I think is a sorely underrated movie. Now, The Lair is a good crowd movie, but it sees him just doing a pick-and-mix pastiche of classic horror films like The Thing and Aliens with a big dollop of Zulu. Now, Dog Soldiers was also playing the festival to mark its 20th anniversary, and that remains a film that's far more than just the sum of its influences. After a wobbly opening 15 minutes, The Lair does have some fun stuff in it, and Neil Marshall is one of those directors who can always deliver a good action scene. I mean, there are action scenes in Dog Soldiers that rival those in Aliens, even though I think Dog Soldiers was made on a fraction of the budget. The Lair's a low-budget movie too, and again, the action does deliver, particularly in this nocturnal scene when the big bad attacks this outpost that all the soldiers are in. That's probably the best moment of the film. It happens halfway through, there's good stuff after that, but that really captures that martial magic. So it's a minor work in his filmography, and hopefully he'll go on to something a bit bigger next time. But anyway, here is Neil Marshall introducing The Lair to the Frightfest audience. And his producer, Daniel Conrad Cooper. Yeah, I just want to thank you all for coming tonight. Um, this means so much to us to be back at Fright Fest. Uh, for me, it's like been there for like 10 years or something since Fright Fest. Horrific, horrific to admit that. Uh, but with this movie, when we created it, we dreamed, with, it all started with a dream, um, that it would end up here uh, with you guys and in Fright Fest. And this is our dream come true. So we was overwhelmed to be here and so good. Um, I'll pass you over to Daniel. Yes, thank you so much, Firefest, for having us. I'm just going to introduce the cast and bring some of them out. So, playing Flight Lieutenant Kate Sinclair, we've got Charlotte Kirk. Playing Corporal Lafayette, we've got Kibon Sanji in the house. Playing the mighty Kipir, we've got Hadi Tanjanpour. Playing weapons systems officer Terry Johnson is Alex Morgan. And playing private Private Serrano, Gavin Bond. Also in the house, just to give a shout out to our executive producers Joe Simpson, Mr. Sean Whelan up at the top there. We've got our post production team from on site in the house. And, um, and actually, some guys who did our Afghan dialogue just at the back there who I know are going to be rowdy. <laughs> What to expect is hopefully a really good time. Um, we just wanted to pack this full of thrills and scares and laughs and gore. Uh, just wanted to make a full-on Fright Fest movie. That was the plan. Um, so it's way more in keeping with, like, you know, Dog Soldiers to send my early, earlier films than anything I've done recently. So hopefully you'll appreciate that. That's the plan. 
Anyway. Enjoy. Welcome to the world premiere of The Rare. The closing movie was Fall. And this is one of those simple premise survival movies that have arrived with routine frequency since 2005's Open Water. So here, two young women, played by Grace Caroline Curry and Virginia Gardner, climb a 2,000-foot radio antenna to scatter the ashes of Curry's husband, who we see plummeting to his death in a rock-climbing tragedy at the top of the film, a bit like in Cliffhanger. The young women get to the top of the antenna pretty easily, but problems arise when a huge chunk of the ladder on this rickety structure that they've climbed breaks away and falls to the ground when the women start to make their way down. So they're stuck at the top and need to find a way out of their predicament. So Fall is another crowd pleaser, if you don't have a fear of heights. There was a woman in front of me who spent huge chunks of the movie looking at her lap, suggesting that the super screen experience was a bit too vertiginous for her, and that she was as good with heights as I am with snakes. And the film has clever practical sets and impressive CGI that really do convey the height of this antenna. And there are several heart-in-the-mouth set pieces as they try to get down. If anything hampers fall, it's the fact that the women kind of brought this on themselves. The rest of the antenna is so obviously unsafe from the time they step onto the first rung of the ladder that anyone climbing it is asking for trouble. The two actors in the main roles give good performances, but for me it just never really got past that. But anyway, I'm probably just too old to get into how thrilling that would be. My knees would have given out about the 50-foot mark and I would have had to have hobbled my way down. I wouldn't have got 2,000 feet up. Now, one of Fall's producers is James Harris, whose previous credits include 47 metres down and 47 metres down uncaged. And Fall is basically an inverse remake of 47 metres down. So instead of going down, you go up. But two young women are still dangerously out of their element and are threatened by the surroundings and local wildlife. And while we're talking about those shark movies, 47 Metres Down Uncaged is still not recognised as the scariest horror film of the last five years. That movie left me with a big smile and an aching back because I was so tense watching it. So check out Fall. It is an enjoyable movie, particularly if you're watching it in a crowd. But also make time for 47 Metres Down Uncaged if you haven't seen it, because it's such a jumpathon that film is. Now, one of the great things about Frightfest is that it's not just wall-to-wall gore. Many films try to get reactions other than howling laughter and shrieks at bloody mayhem unfolding on screen. And this year, one of those films was Mally Elfman's Next Exit. This was a movie that foregrounded character and emotion. The unusual premise is quite arresting. In a world where the afterlife has incontrovertibly been proven to exist, two strangers travel across America to take part in a controversial euthanasia programme so their transition to the afterlife can be scientifically recorded. And with death now not the end, life isn't what it used to be. Like all good road movies, the journey isn't just about the distance covered, but about the emotional and psychological voyage of the characters. Katie Parker, who played the Shelley Duvall role in Doctor Sleep, is excellent as the thorny rose, who has this armour of unfriendliness that hides this regret and trauma that she's carrying around with her. Her travel companion Teddy is played by Rahul Kohli, who's another Mike Flanagan regular. He's a perfect comic foil, but also an actor who can do the emotional heavy lifting. And the film is kind of like It Happened One Night or The Sure Thing meets that Koryeda Hirakazu movie Afterlife from 1998. And it's a really good movie. 
You kind of find out why the characters have elected to travel to this place to undergo this procedure as you go along on this journey with them. And secrets start to come out. And it's a real mix of different flavours. You've got horror movie elements. There are some scenes that are played for horror movie tension. There's romance in there as well. There's powerful drama. There's a lot of comedy, which is really, really good. It balances some of the heavier aspects of the film. Um, And Coley is just a really gifted natural comedian. You should keep an eye out for Next Exit. It's well worth a look. And fun fact, uh, the writer-director Mally Elfman is Danny Elfman's daughter. And here's a taste of the film. So are you asking people to end their lives? I'd say this is a beginning for some. When's your appointment? Seven days. Mine's in five. Uh, maybe we could help each other. In killing each other. Well, getting to Dr. Stevenson's. It is irrefutable. Our consciousness continues beyond our physical bodies. At our institute, we now bridge participants daily from this world to the next. I want my life to mean something. I mean, it's not just the end, it's the beginning. So this is supposed to be a goodbye? No, I'll, I'll come back and haunt you. <laughs> So Fright Fest ain't just about gore, but of course there are gory movies, and some films packed a ton of it in. Now one of those was reportedly the killer clown movie Terrifier 2. I couldn't make it through the first Terrifier movie, so was not going to endure the sequel, particularly as it clocks in at 140 minutes. <laughs> anyway, a gore fest that is well worth a look if you like your splatter is The Price We Pay. So this is a From Dust Till Dawn meets the Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets Hostel type affair, with Stephen Dorff and Emile Hirsch as stick-up men fleeing to a remote ranch after a robbery goes wrong. And their hostage, played by Gigi Zombardo, isn't too happy to be tagging along with them, particularly when it turns out that the ranch owners are none too hospitable to visitors. Now like From Dust Till Dawn, the first half with the crooks on the run is the better and more interesting section of the film than the second half, when the claret starts flowing. But the price we pay delivers in the horror stakes, including a climactic bit of evisceration. So bizarre and extended that it moves beyond gross out and becomes weirdly sublime. It has to be seen to be believed, that does. Anyway, the film co-stars Vernon Wells, who will always be Wes from Mad Max 2, and Bennett from Commando, and he appears as one of the weird ranchers, and the whole thing is directed by Kitamura Rue, whose previous credits include The Midnight Meat Train and No One Lives. And the lean, mean script was written by the British Christopher Jolly. Now, there are always those films that you don't catch that then get the festival buzzing, and you kick yourself because you don't catch them. So I'm now going to have to try to check out Piggy, New Religion, and Sissy as soon as possible because these got a lot of people talking in the cine world and were making a lot of top 10 films of the festival lists. And uh, yeah, I really want to see them. Now, an excellent film I did see was Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead's Something in the Dirt. Confession time, I'm a movie fan, particularly horror and cinema of the fantastic. But until Something in the Dirt, I'd never seen a Benson and Moorhead film. Not Resolution, or Spring, or The Endless, or Synchronic. Not even those episodes of Marvel's Moon Knight that they did. I know, it's terrible. 
And it's actually quite a big omission and oversight because these guys have been around now for about a decade or so. And uh, yeah, this is, I need to see their movies. Anyway, having seen something in the dirt, I now want to change that and really, really do want to see their movies. So this film is a real head scrambler. And it's a tapestry movie of different ideas and moods and visual styles, filmed around lockdowns in one of the director's apartment building. Which is likely why the writer-directors Benson and Moorhead take the lead roles too. And they're really good in them, so they're disgustingly talented. But anyway, Benson is Levi, this guy who's just moved in. And he meets Moorhead's John, who's a resident in this apartment building. And they strike up this friendship of necessity, really. When John witnesses something supernatural in Levi's living room, they decide to make a fame-bringing Netflix-style documentary to capture the weird goings-on. Something in the Dirt is many things in one. It's a philosophical tract, conspiracy theory film, a ghost story, horror film, a film about trauma and friendship and ego and hidden secrets. It's about the supernatural and the occult, the metaphysical and modern anxieties. It's about smoking and healthy living. It's about trying to bring order and make order out of the chaos of the world that we currently live in. And it's a dazzler. And the most impressive thing about it is that it doesn't become an indigestible hodgepodge of ideas. The central relationship between the two leads is what carries it through. It's also a wry satire on the objectivity of documentaries or the lack of objectivity, maybe. The film features talking heads from characters who were pulled into John and Levi's orbit as they were making this documentary. And they give alternative accounts as to what was going on when the two men decided to film those strange occurrences. So there are lots of conflicting reports and opinions as to what's happened, which gives you a lot of clues to sift through. But trust us, you'll want to sift through them to find the answers. Anyway, here's the trailer for the film. I still believe part of it was real. I don't think anything is worth what happened. I don't just mean the dead one. Now, another strong film about modern anxieties was Andy Mitten's The Harbinger. This is a COVID movie set during the first lockdown. But no, don't run for the door. It's actually a really good movie and a movie that you'll want to watch. So Gabby Beans delivers a first-rate performance as Monique, a woman who breaks lockdown to check in on a friend who is struggling with the isolation. Monique's family are none too pleased about this. So when she gets to her friend's apartment, her friend tells her that she's been having nightmares that last for days and days and she fears that they're going to end her. The nightmares are usually based around a mysterious figure. Now what is great about The Harbinger is how it uses haunted house and monster movie tropes plus good old-fashioned urban myth to tell its story about the mental strain of the pandemic and it really takes you back to that early time in March, April, May of 2022 when there wasn't a vaccine, no one knew how bad the COVID virus was going to be, we're all indoors for 23 hours a day. Just the weird, quiet apocalypse of that time comes through really, really well in The Harbinger. 
And of course, you're going to have apocalypse movies at a horror film festival, but this was by far the most unusual and the most interesting. So on to Light Affair, and I'm probably going to murder the director's name now. Jonas Govert. Apologies again if I just completely murdered that name. Anyway, he made Hazard. And if you want to know what it's like to drink six Red Bulls in a row, then watch Hazard. It is a blast of adrenaline. It is also great fun. And it sustains its momentum incredibly well, the same way that Edgar Wright did with Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, and arguably didn't with Baby Driver. Now, the majority of Hazard is set inside one car, and the story is about a character called Noah, who is played by DJ-turned-actor Dimitri Vegas Viveos. And he's a low-level hustler, trying to clean up the mess after a, a robbery has gone wrong, which means he basically has to drive around a lot of Antwerp. And if he doesn't clean up this mess, then bad things will happen to him and those nearest and dearest to him. And this means having to navigate a whole bunch of obstacles, including short-tempered bouncers and drug dealers, crime lords, incredibly rude and foul-mouthed kids, and an escaped zoo animal. Plus some auto-eroticism that is like if David Cronenberg may crash as a comedy. So Hazard is just wild, outlandish, and packed with amped-up action and amped-up characters, and it's well worth 85 minutes of your time. So another film I want to tell you about is Torn Hearts. And Torn Hearts is one of those films that proves the adage, never meet your heroes. Abby Quinn and Alexis Lemire play a country music duo, and they think their prayers have been answered when their idol, Harper Dutch, agrees to record with them. Harper, who is played by Katie Sagal, used to be one half of the Duchess sisters, who were super famous in the early 90s, until her sibling killed herself. Harper's now an eccentric recluse, and lives in a rambling old mansion. She says she'll record with the younger women, but insists that they first play these ever more unusual and dark, weird games. Now, Katie Sagal, for me, will always be Jake Peralta's mum from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, because she was so lovely in that role. So seeing her as an intimidating baddie is a bit disconcerting at first. Now I hear that if you watched Sons of Anarchy, you'd have no such problems, because she's quite a nasty piece of work in that. Anyway, Sagal is excellent here, and as well as giving good psycho, conveys the hard times and strongly suggested abuse that she had to endure on her way to the top. Now this is crucial in buying that the two younger women don't just run for the exit as soon as they meet her, because she's quite a sympathetic psycho. Abby Quinn is an actor who should break out any day now. She's always good in what she appears in. She was really impressive in supporting roles in 2019's Little Women and a great 2018 drama called Radium Girls. She's kind of the de facto lead here and carries the movie well. Her co-star Lamia also impresses as the more easygoing member of the duo who realises that she needs to toughen up if she's going to fulfil her dreams. Director Bree Grant and writer Rachel Collacroft have created a great inverse of Misery, the Rob Reiner movie based on the Stephen King book. Here, it's the idol that torments the number one fans. They also mix in elements of whatever happens to Baby Jane and Sunset Boulevard, but like Dog Soldiers, Torn Hearts is more than just the sum of its influences. When it does get released, I'll let you know on a future episode. So you want me to do a song with you? Y'all any good? Well, we'd love to show you. Which one of you is better? Uh, or equals. Yeah. You better drink my damn booze. 
Torn Hearts with Harper Dutch is a great idea. We're doing a song with Harper This is how we celebrate. This is weird. Harper is trying to turn us against each other. The girls just came by for some free advice on a whim. Nothing's free in Nashville, is it? Also, a quick shout out to Lucky, which was a film that was written by Brie Grant and is just one of the best horror films of the last few years. I think that's still on Shudder. You should check out Lucky. Okay, there are just a few more films I want to tell you about and then I'll let you go. I promise. So one of the best films of 2018 was One Cut of the Dead, which was so popular at Fright Fest 2018, they had to put on, I think, an extra one or two showings of it. Now that was the Japanese zombie movie made by a Tokyo film school for $17,500. And it took the horror-loving world by storm. Now One Cut of the Dead began as a single-take zombie movie, being made by a film crew who then have to deal with a real zombie apocalypse breaking out. Half hour into the movie, it flashes back one month to show all the prep for the film and you get to know the characters that kind of explain a lot of what comes later. Now One Cut of the Dead is clever, inventive, it's witty and it has huge heart. Final Cut is a remake by Michael Hazanovicius, who won an Oscar for The Artist. It stars his wife, Berenice Bajot, who was Oscar nominated for The Artist. It also stars French movie star Romain Duris. So won't a glossy, bigger-budgeted remake miss the point of the original? Surprisingly, no. Now, the opening 20 minutes don't bode well, but thereafter it captures the tone of the first film, it does bring a lot of the jokes over, but also adds some new cool stuff of its own including this acknowledges that it's a remake of One Cut of the Dead, and there are Japanese investors who are paying close attention to make sure that the director, played by Yuran Duris, doesn't screw up their franchise, and that leads to some of the funniest moments of the film. And crucially, Final Cut also captures the original's wonderful community spirit of friends getting together to create something. Now each year, Fright Fest showcases first-rate documentaries. Back in 2014, they showed The Nightmare, that film directed by Rodney Asher, who'd previously done Room 237, The Shining documentary. The Nightmare, which is about sleep paralysis and the shared experiences of it by different people around the world, I think has quietly become one of the most influential movies of the past 10 years. But the best doc of 2022 was Dima Ballant and Kat Ellinger's Orchestrator of Storms, The Fantastique World of Jean Relan. A cradle-to-grave account of the French fantastic filmmaker Jean Relan this is a great documentary. It's filled with insight and anecdotes from genre experts and Roland's friends and colleagues, and it's a comprehensive and often moving account of the underappreciated Eurocult director. It's illustrated with numerous clips from his films, films which often featured vampires and had strange evocative titles like The Shivers of the Vampire and Requiem for a Vampire, The Rape of the Vampire, Two Orphan Vampires, Roland like vampires, and also The Living Dead Girl and The Grapes of Death. And all of these sound even more evocative in the original French, but I'm not going to do that. You don't need to hear my French accent, that would be the scariest thing on this podcast. The doc also acknowledges that Roland's films would often infuriate even the most passionate horror fans. He was heavily inspired by surrealism 
and poetry and political movements and comic books and old serials. And all of these come together in these films that are labelled horror films, but are often much stranger than that would suggest. And his movies often have a loose, improvised feel to them. Requiem for a Vampire was improvised from a seven-page treatment, and some think that the movies are one step, perhaps, above a home movie. But I think there's much more to Jean Roland's work than that, and this doc really goes into why that is. So see it as soon as you're able. It's a great intro to the director, and Arrow Video are putting it out. Now a fun fact, my co-host Rob Wallace went to a lecture at the Miskatonic Institute at the Horse Hospital in London, which used to be a horse hospital but isn't anymore. So he went to a lecture about Jean Rolin, but he's never seen a Jean Rolin movie, which must have been an odd experience. And that's something we'll have to rectify soon, and on a future episode we'll let you know how that went. I think it might be Fascination. So Fascination's a good one to begin with. That was made in 1979. It's worth a look. I think it's on BFI Player. Okay, before I get to the final film, here are some quick recommendations of other movies I saw. Who Invited Them is a smart, funny home invasion movie about husband and wife who throw a disastrous housewarming party. Then the only people that stay are a super cool couple that the husband and wife have never met before. That's really good, and it's coming to shudder at some point. Incredible But True is a funny parable about middle-aged malaise and trying to reclaim lost youth. A Franco-Belgian copro, it's about a couple who discover that a hole in the ground in their basement leads to an entrance that comes out of the attic. And when you go through the hole, something miraculous happens. But as Daniel Kaluuya says in Nope, is there such thing as a bad miracle? Now, Incredible Witchery is frequently laugh-out-loud funny. It's also very sweet, and, it's, and there's a bitter sweetness to it. And like a lot of movies at Fright Fest, it's short, 74 minutes... And that's one of the great things about Fright Fest is that you spend a weekend watching movies that are typically around 90 minutes. An hour 45 minute film at Fright Fest is a long movie. What it proves is you don't need two and a half hours to tell your movie because these are some of the best films of the year and they routinely clock in at 90 minutes or under. And Incredible But True is one of them. There's a British film called Hounded. And this is about sneering landed gentry hunting working-class burglars across their private estate. Now, despite the hard-up kids being burglars, the film makes it very clear who the real thieves are. Samantha Bond, who played Miss Moneypenny in the Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan Bond films, is really good as the fearsome matriarch of these terrible poshos. And again, it's another one that you'll have a good time with. And there's another film called Burial, which is a good World War II movie about Russian soldiers having to escort Hitler's body back to Moscow. And they come across die-hard Nazis who just refuse to accept defeat. And the fact that the Nazis call themselves werewolves suggests how hard they're going to fight. Directed by Ben Parker, it's a good atmospheric horror that stars Charlotte Vega and Tom Felton, who of course was Draco Malfoy in the Harry Potter films many years ago. Okay, Onto the final film to discuss, and it's my film of the festival. And although this film contains horrifying visions of alternate realities, the best film of Fright Fest 2022 was a science fiction film. And it's called Lola, directed by Andrew Legg. In the early days of World War II, two sisters invent a machine that can pick up radio and TV transmissions from the future. They call it Lola. 
Now, after blissing out to Bob Dylan and David Bowie, they realise that they have to get involved in the war effort. But as with the best time travel movies, altering things always has consequences. Now, I thought this film was sensational, and it packs in more drama and excitement than any blockbuster released so far this year. And yes, Top Gun Maverick, that includes you. Archive footage is manipulated to present these strikingly different visions of the past and also the future, and the time travel logic adds up. That's also a found footage movie, kind of presented as a home movie that the sisters were keeping as they were getting involved in the war effort with their machine Lola. And what impresses most is that this is Andrew Legg's feature debut. So again, like Benson and Moorhead, he's disgustingly talented. Lola hasn't got a distributor yet, but as soon as it does, I'll let you know when it's coming out, because this is just one of the films of the year, and hopefully it will be released this year so I can include it in my top 10 of the year at the end of the year. Oh yes, one more thing. All of that is crammed into 79 minutes, expertly paced, totally brilliant. You're not left wanting any more. The two leads, Emma Appleton and Stephanie Martini, fantastic as the sisters, Lola, the film of Fright Fest 2022, and a film you have to see. And that's it, so thanks for listening. If you want to know more about Fright Fest, then head over to frightfest.co.uk. They're also on Twitter at Frightfest. They also do a Halloween weekender in October that is always well worth a visit, so be sure to keep an eye out for when they announce what films are playing there. Now, if you want to follow Mr. Wallace, then you can on Twitter at Robert M. Wallace. He also has a site called ofallthefilmsites.com that has great film writing on it and you should check that out too. Rob and I also do a sister podcast called Another Time McLeod, which is a scene-by-scene breakdown of that wonderful 1986 movie Highlander. You can listen to that wherever you listen to this and you can follow that on Twitter at McLeodTime. You can also drop us a Highlander-themed email at whowantstopodforever at gmail.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel. You can also find a whole bunch of FrightFest 2022 reviews and stuff on my website, which is electric-shadows.com. You can also drop us an email at moviewrobcast at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed this and want to leave us a star rating, then please do so wherever you listen to your podcasts. It only takes a minute, it's much appreciated, and it always helps us with our rankings in the algorithms and whatnot. If you also want to leave a few words of review, well, we're not going to argue with that. So thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed some of the films that I've talked about on this episode. And myself and Mr. Wallace will talk to you again very, very soon. This is ground control to Major Tom. Lola opened a magical new world. 1938 went into 1939, but those dates meant nothing to us. We were living in another time, and we finally had a reliable source of income. Remember that car I bought you? Way too small for those legs. But Lola didn't just show us the world's wonders. She also showed us its horrors. The Nazis had torn through Europe. Paris had fallen. 
Dunkirk had been evacuated and now Hitler had set his sights on Britain. The Blitz would claim thousands of lives over the coming months. Lola could no longer be just ours. 